We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, Nets fans. To steal something from my co-host of JBT, Nick Musink. Uh, how are we all? I'm with the incomparable Nick Fay, as always, recording an awesome Brooklyn buzz. Nicholas, how are we? I'm doing great, Jack. Starting to miss Nets basketball and the NBA in general. You know, it's getting close, but we need it sooner. Yeah, it's like 35 days or something until like the NBA season is upon us and even shorter till the preseason. But somehow I've been still doing my sleuthing and there's still little things popping up on Twitter here and there. But as always, guys, make sure you are subscribed to us on iTunes. Uh, get us on Blog Talk Radio, YouTube, Dash Radio, all those sort of good places. But Nick, uh, one of the th- issues that's sort of been lingering, so to speak, uh, is the Spencer Dimwitty trade to the Suns. Uh, they still haven't found their point guard yet. And Anthony Puccio spoke further on the Dinwiddie trade to the Suns. And with Phoenix still in the search, we thought we'd revisit the issue ourselves. Uh, in terms of the information that was sort of given out by, by Pooch, um, has anything changed in your opinion about Dinwiddie staying or going uh, to the Suns? What are your thoughts? Um, I think, you know, based off of what I know, and I think a lot of it's what the Nets think of Dinwiddie, I think we wouldn't see a trade until later in the season. I think Pooch mentioned it. You know, there's going to be a lot of teams interested in him. You know, he's arguably one of the most tradable contracts in the NBA. You know, 1.6 expiring. You know, he's a guy that can come off the bench. I think it would benefit the Nets to kind of sit on him and let him prove to teams that he can come off the bench too because now you're opening up to a whole different avenue of teams. And, you know, there's no point in trading him now because hypothetically if someone were to get hurt the first or second week of the season – you have a great backup in Spencer Dinwiddie or somebody who can fill that role. So I think from what I know, I think the Nets are better off kind of sitting on this and waiting a little bit longer to get a feel for his value and whatnot. Yeah, I think that there's too much sort of goodwill that's been built up between Spencer and and the front office and the coaching staff that I can't see it happening. The Jeremy Lin trade was somewhat surprising to us. Um, I guess that sort of 
somewhat came out of nowhere, but I think the Spencer Dibbony scenario is is entirely different. And unless it's a proposal that is just absolutely, you know, a must-take proposal by the by the Suns, like it's a, a really nice first round and maybe they chuck in Dragon Bender as well, then I can't see anything else that's going to change um, the current scenario. I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie is currently pretty busy right now at Harvard Business School, so um, I can't... That's pretty cool. Uh, he's killing it. I posted um, the the video via his Instagram, and you know he's definitely doing some work there. Him and Enos Cantor are ending their beef, which is it's just I mean it was a petty beef to begin with, but I think in terms of the trade, I can't see it happening either. Um, I think in terms of what's the when you're weighing out the pros and the cons. Like you were saying, you know, if, if things happen to be, if that trade happens to be there, you know, come February, I think it's going to depend on what Phoenix are offering more than what the Nets are willing to sort of take. Like, you know, I think that the upper hand is right now with the Nets. You know, we have something that the, that Phoenix want. And yes, so does Boston. And so does all these other teams that have like, you know, a decent sort of guard. But, you know, the, the ball is in our court in terms of who has the upper hand. So I don't think that anything's going to change, like you said, until that sort of February trade deadline. Not to mention, I mentioned, you know, if the Nets got an injury, you know, Spencer doing what he could come in. If another NBA team, especially a contending team or a playoff team, has their point card go down, Spencer doing what he might look like a great fit for some of these teams. And we mentioned it, you know, on previous shows, one of the top guys in turnover to assist ratio. You know, I think he'll be more efficient this season playing with better teammates. And it was a new role for him to adjust to. Obviously, there's improvements, but we saw him make a really big jump last offseason. So there's no reason to think that he can't make another jump this offseason to just boost his value even more. Yeah, and I put out a piece for Nets Republic saying that I think he should, he could be a six man of the year contender uh, in terms of that new role that you've been talking about. Um, I'm all in on that. I sort of, I listened to the um, preview pod we did with Nicola Turno and I sort of brought it up ever so slightly on there. And then I, I just sort of, the thought fested in my mind and I'm like, okay, let me look into this a little bit further. And I think that it's entirely possible in terms of the role that he's going to have as well. Um, it, I mean, Taking all biases aside, Nick, if you know we put, if you had Terry Rozier and Spencer Dinwiddie coming at this from like a Phoenix perspective, saying like you're you're Michael Sanchez, you're one of our like Phoenix <laughs> diehard fans that we have on the OTG staff, who would you rather have? Like, obviously, there's the contract situations to take into account, and there's also just the general play and how they fit alongside Booker, Aiton, and all their other pieces. Who would you rather have as a Suns fan? Like you're, you're, you've changed. You're somehow, you know, you're in a different person's shoes. <laughs> I was reborn. Um, reborn, yeah. I'm thinking, you know, I think Terry Rozier has a higher ceiling. Like there's more potential there. There's more flash. Like he had some really huge games and more pop as a scorer. I think Dinwiddie's probably a better passer and probably has a higher floor. But I don't know if he could get to the highest level that, you know, if Rozier were to hit his peak. But I think, you know, Dinwiddie's a safer bet knowing that he actually had to run a team, be a starting point guard for a majority of the season. I mean, Terry Rozier did too, but he had other great players with him. You know, he had Al Horford there. He had uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, you know, a lot of veterans where Spencer did what he did it with a lot of young guys and nobody he could really rely on other than maybe a Damari Carroll. So I think he kind of proved that he's a solid guy. But if you're looking for like, you know, the bigger risk, the but the higher upside, I would go with Rozier. But if you're looking for the safer bet, I would probably go with Dinwiddie. Yeah, I think they both have their pros and cons. I think Dinwiddie proves, um, you know, his worth and then some with the D'Lo and, and the Jeremy Lin injury. Obviously, he sort of was, he was running the team um, for, for extended periods. He won us games in the clutch, as did Terry Rougier for, for the Boston Celtics at times. And he did that in the playoffs of all places. You know, when Kyrie Irving went down, you know, Terry Rozier was was freaking awesome. He outplayed Eric Bledsoe, you know, a guy who's, you know, um, well-revered throughout the league. Obviously, he's he's lost some of his, 
his um his credibility to an extent uh, along the way um from Phoenix and, and to a lesser extent in Milwaukee. But yeah, Scary Terry's been awesome. I think you. You, you can't go wrong either way for, for either two. I think both of them will fit along. I'd probably take Spencer just because of his fit next to Devin Booker, I think, in terms of just being a pass-first guard. Whereas I think Terry Rozier is probably a little bit better and efficient at creating his own shot. Um, but, you know, it, it's it, you can't miss, I think, with either of these guys. And I think... If I'm the if I'm Ryan McDonough, I'm probably looking at those two and seeing, you know, what are Boston wanting to take, what are what are, what is Brooklyn wanting to take, and you know, don't go all in on like you know trying to trade the trade the house for like a Kemba Walker or whatever, because I think you know you've got a sort of young nucleus that can build, and you know you don't necessarily need to have a a stud point guard to sort of be you know a real contender going forward. But uh, and another thing that sort of popped up early in the week. Um, since then, obviously, the 50 to 31 has been released. But Sports Illustrated released their first batch of their top 100 players. And they did the 100 to 51. And Damari Carroll uh, is the only net on the list. And he was at number 95. Uh, two things, Nick. Is this too low for a Damari Carroll? And should any other Brooklyn guys have been on this list? Because 50 to 31, there were no nets either. Um, there's plenty of players on there um you mean joe harris won't be number one jack no. it's, it's it's a bit it's a huge surprise and i can't believe that rob mahoney and 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 ben Golliver aren't listening to the brooklyn buzz uh right now but i, I think from a personal perspective I'll, I'll give my thoughts but i'd like to hear yours first yeah i think this is probably fair damari maybe you could boost him a couple spots like you and i talked a little bit off the show you know how you gauge and rank the players definitely depends on a lot. I could see Damari maybe being a few spots higher. Other nets that maybe will be in there, I think consistency-wise, Rondé could probably get consideration. You know, there's other guys in the roster that probably next season after another good year will be in there. But I think for the nets, it's a lot of a lot of players have to prove to do it again. You know, they might have had good moments last year, but I think consistency-wise, you know, I'm okay with one of them being in. But next season, I think they'll definitely have a couple guys, at least in the bottom half of it. You know, maybe not in the top 50, but I think a couple guys will be in that 70 to 100 range. And for Damari to be there, I think it's awesome because, like we mentioned 100 times, he was supposed to be a salary dump, and he turned out to be great. He's been a great leader. He's really helped the culture and set the tone for the Nets in general. And he was obviously like a plus, um, I think, 4.2 for the Nets last year. So I think he's well-deserved. Yeah, I mean, he's his numbers last season, 13.5 points per game, 6.6 rebounds, 2 assists. You know, he was the sort of, the real steadying force for the Nets at times. When the Nets were looking for a bucket, Damari Carroll was there. When the, when the Nets were looking for a defensive play, Damari Carroll was there. Um, you know, his resilience as well was was um, very, very, yeah, he was, you know, counted upon. You know, he missed a, a few games here and there. Um, but I think, you know, he set the standard, so to speak, you know, his relationship with D'Angelo Russell and such. But I'm a little bit irked, you know, own, I think irked is probably the best word for it because I'm not that annoyed or, or frustrated. It's just mildly irked that, it, you know, guys like, you know, your boy, Karis LeVert, uh, D'Angelo Russell, I don't think showed enough last season to be on this list. But I think Karis LeVert, maybe even a Jared Allen, um, you know, I think, you know, even we could argue Ed Davis, you know, uh, the new the new net could be on this list. We talked about um, his his rebounding and you know his um, offensive rebounding. I've, I've put out some tweets earlier in the week that like he had one of the best rebounding percentages in the league. Um, so I'm a and you know when you're looking at guys. So if with Demario at 95 from 96 to 100, it's Dirk at 96. 97 is Reggie Jackson. 98 is Pau Gasol. 99 is Brook Lopez, who should be in the top 20. We love our boy, <laughs> Brolo. And number 100 is Alonzo Ball, which I 
to me is almost like a token throw-in. But yeah, yeah when you, I feel like Dirk. Sorry to cut you off, Jack. I feel like Dirk and Paul Gasol shouldn't be on there because they don't even play like twenty minutes a game. You know, like their role is going because these are supposed to be for next season. Like both those guys will probably be playing like fifteen minutes a game. I know they're super talented, but. I wouldn't consider them top 100 if they can't stay on the floor. And I mean, respectfully, Dirk's a legend, but he can't play any defense right now. Like he he's moving as fast as I am on the floor right now. Yeah, look to throw a hot take in there in terms of non nets related. Uh, I think Mello is better than Dirk Nowitzki right now, for sure. And, that, and that's like not, and I guess it's not that much of a hot take, just because Mello, despite his many deficiencies, has shown way more than than Dirk did last season. I guess if you are like talking about it i guess you can grade it however you want and it's a completely subjective exercise and and who knows we may have something coming out in in the coming weeks for otg basketball if you guys want to see that you know slide into nick's dms at otg nick mine at the jmnjbt or at otg basketball um it's it's certainly a fun exercise and and one that creates some some healthy debate but where next season nick do you see you know, we've we heard Coach Kenny sort of say that we've we've seen guys take the step up that we that we see can be like you know top thirty, top fifty guys. Where do you see a guy like a D'Lo, a Karis Levert, a Jared Allen, or what are their like ceilings in this sort of list? Because the M- the NBA is as talented as it's ever been in you know my following and you know and maybe ever. Um, and it's hard to sort of see them crack the sort of top thirty when players like Kevin Love, CJ McCollum, and Kemba Walker aren't even in the top 30 right now. So what do you think about our boys going forward? I think obviously D'Angelo has the highest potential. You know, if he were to hit that all-star type level, I think maybe to the 35 to 50 range. Because I think you mentioned Yokemba in the early 30s, and I think he's a level yep. he can get around to. You know, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think that'd be potential. I think Jared Allen and Karis Silver could definitely get in the top 100. Um, considering how they treated Biggs and Levert's not super flashy, I think Levert would probably get in probably in the lower chunk, you know, somewhere between like 70 to 100. Yep. And, you know, you and I, I mean, I think all the Nets fans are super high in Jared Allen. I think he could get into that 60 to 80 range. I mean, I thought I saw Serge Ibaka was in the bottom 50, and I think Jared Allen could easily have a better season than Serge Ibaka had last year because I didn't think he was very good. No, absolutely. And I, and I think um, Clint Capella was I think in the the mid thirties range as well, and we've uh, we've compared um, him uh, quite a few times, and and I think that you know Jared Allen from what he's shown um, in in such a short period of time, and I've mentioned this plenty of times, so I think that those numbers are fair, and you know I think it's it's certainly interesting to to forecast, but you know I think health plays a huge issue in this thing, and you know uh, the one thing that's obviously a, a bit mix and match about this list is like you know they had Demarcus Cousins at like late sixties, but then they had like, like a Mike Conley in the forties. Um, but in further Nets talk, Nicholas um, Nikias NBA, one of the, uh, a must NBA Twitter follow, um, put out a a question that sort of uh, you know caught my attention and caught plenty of Nets fan attention, and I got into a healthy sort of conversation um, uh, about it. What would a Carol Carol slash Harris for Wiggins swap look like? Thoughts, my friend? I wouldn't want to see it. <laughs> I didn't even put any effort in thinking of a deal because I get it. Like, I get Wiggins has a lot of potential and there's, you know, reasons things aren't working out in Minnesota. But it is a huge risk. It is a huge risk. If this was the first year of the rebuild the Nets were going into, it would make more sense. But Wiggins is going to get paid 25 mil this year, 27 mil next year. In the third year, it's 29 mil. So Sean Marks has preached cat flexibility. And there that would give us no cat flexibility for a player that you don't even know is going to get to an all-star level. Like, I wouldn't guarantee, like, yeah, Kenny's a great player development coach. The coaching staff is great. But there's also, like, concerns with Wiggins' mindset. 
For example, this year, I believe it was uh, rumored that he complained he didn't like being the third role. He didn't like what was going on. Meanwhile, Wiggins is shooting 60% from the free throw line. You know, defense isn't amazing. It was a little bit better. But I think he's a guy that, like, I question if he's willing to buy into, like, a super big team role. And I don't think he's a number one option. I just don't see it. So I, I personally wouldn't want the trade to happen unless the Nets were to get, like, a ton of young assets or something. But still, it, like, pretty much locks up your team uh, cap-wise. Yeah, I mean it's it's one it's one to just sort of think about. I I chucked in an, uh, a very ridiculous hot take just to sort of <laughs> stir the pot a little bit, saying that Joe Harris is better than Wiggins anyway. Um, and I got rightfully called out um, by by Mike <laughs> Ryan, um, who is a Knicks fan, but he was also very measured in in his debate. And you know, I put out you know some stats about how effective that Joe Harris was, but at the same time, you know, Andrew Wiggins. Still has incredible potential. You know, the, the Maple Leaf Jordan is what he was referred to, you know, going into the draft. You know, a number one draft pick, you know, we sort of, you know, took on D'Lo uh, of sorts, you know, when, when Los Angeles got rid of him. I think that Wiggins as the number one guy would be intriguing. But I think like you, the, number, the one thing that really, you know, um, pushes me off this is is that contract. The fact that, you know, the, the front office in Minnesota were just so you know, willing to give it to him without thinking of, you know, um, future implications about Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns and, and all the rest of it. Um, it just doesn't make sense to me. So I think yeah, that's one thing that really sort of taking out the contract, Nick, and then, you know, obviously Carol Harris, um, if it's still similar, if Andrew Wiggins still isn't on that contract and he's on say, let's compare it to a Jabari Parker contract. Um, you know, say it's like a two-year, you know, it's a team somewhat friendly deal. He's still getting paid a little bit. Does that entice you more as a Nets fan or as a Nets sort of pundit? I think it does. I think it entices me more because you can get out of the contract. You keep your flexibility. But also, I like Joe Harris on his contract. Like, I, I like, I don't think Joe Harris is better than Andrew Wiggins. I think Wiggins could obviously, you know, be a lot better player. But I think Joe Harris on that contract in terms of fit with the team, the culture the Nets are trying to set, and then Damari, like, uh, it's tough. I'm just not a huge Wiggins guy. Like, he's kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Also, not a great three-point shooter. And we know the Nets love to shoot threes, and that's a concern. And the free throw percentage, not great. And the fact he loves to do iso ball and shoot mid-range jumpers. I'm just not a huge fan of his game. If it were to be in a really good deal and they were to get him, I'd be okay about it. But I don't know. Like, I, I once said that, like, I think at some point they might have trouble getting rid of this Wiggins contract and have to attract, like, a a pick or something to it because I don't know if he's ever going to live up to 29 mil. Like I know you asked without the contract, but I just don't know if he's like, I don't know if he has that, like that mindset to be an all-star like dominant type player. Yeah. It's hard to sort of see for what he's proven so far. He's had, you know, glimpses, you know, similar to like our boy D'Lo, but uh, I, I think, you know, is he a number two guy? Is he like a glorified number three guy on a contending team? Um, it doesn't seem like he's, you know, number one in any sort of sense of the word. Um, I'll throw another sort of Minnesota-related sort of tidbit at you. If you could have Wiggins and you know he's going to hit at least somewhat of a ceiling or Butler for a short period of time, uh, who are you taking? Mm, uh, you're hitting me with some good questions today, Jack. <laughs> I'm hosting, mate. I've got to be prepared. I was, I was walking to buy 2K today and I was thinking about the little sort of tidbits that I'd throw out yeah, when I had the topics. I got them written down in front of me because, you know, you got to do your prep for the buzz, but... I'm going to make sure that I had plenty of stuff for you. For a two-year stint, let's say, I would rather yeah. have Butler. 
Like if we're talking long term, like if I had to sign one of them to a five year contract, I think I would go to Wiggins because, you know, like many of the the Bulls and the Timber Bulls or whatever you want to call them, yeah. uh, Tibbs is going to wear them out. And I think Butler's going to hit a point where his body, I know he does a great job in the offseason, but unless he goes to a team that substantially cuts his minutes, like a team like the Nets, I think he might be in trouble in the later half of his contract. Yeah, I think. Um, I think again because I was listening to pl- uh, plenty of the NBA outlet preview pods, including our one with um, Nicholas Letourneau, um, the awesome Nicholas Letourneau, and he sort of brought up when we were talking about Jimmy Butler. You know, he's an old twenty-eight, twenty-nine. You know, yeah. when you're playing with you know Tom Thibodeau and you're playing forty-nine minutes per night on a forty-eight-minute game, um, he's it's definitely going to be some wear and tear for him. And I think that Jimmy Butler, for as good as his ceiling is, and he is one of, with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, one of the best two-way players in the game and in a very valuable position at that sort of shooting guard, wing position, can guard some multiple positions. Um, he's, I don't think he's going to age well. Um, whereas in comparison to like guys like KD and other free agents, which I've got a, a few questions for you a bit later. I think, yeah, I, I completely agree with what you're saying, but... Um, Back to the Spencer Dimity thing, I was listening to the Dunked On um, Brooklyn Nets season preview. And one thing that I took away and wanted to chat with you about was Daniel LaRue believes that Spencer Dimity is more likely to be on the next season, the Nets next season, than D'Lo due to his proven NBA worth, his versatility, and his much lower cap hold. Uh, obviously, D'Lo's cap hold next season is is quite big, $21.1 million, And Spencer Dinwiddie, who we have um, right now, is $1.6 million. What are your thoughts on that, Nicholas? Do you, I don't see it as the real, out of the realms of possibility. Uh, the one thing I would say about that, so if the Nets were to release D'Lo's cap hold, they would be looking for another max-type player, and that would mean they get two max guys and they let D'Lo go. I think that's the only scenario where they're like, all right, you know, we put the money into him and it's not working out or he has a really rough season or they sign like a Kyrie Irving. But I think uh, some of that is Danny not having a great feel for the Nets. Obviously, they cover all 30 teams, and the vibe you get from Nets reporters, press conferences, I know Nets Daily has tweeted this out, is the Nets really like D'Lo. They like D'Lo, I think, his game, and they like his personality and the guy he's becoming. Like, he's matured a lot in Brooklyn from where he was in L.A. So I, the vibe that I'm getting is more so they're going to lean with D'Lo unless they were to land some Kyrie Irving or some big-time point guard free agent or D'Lo has a really bad season or injury-wise. I don't see it. I think D'Lo's more of the guy where Dinwiddie's a guy. That's why he's been mentioned in trade rumors and whatnot because, you know, we haven't heard D'Angelo brought up. We've heard Dinwiddie brought up. Yeah, and I mean, the age difference isn't that big either. Um, I can I can see the, obviously, from non-Nets guys like us and like Nets Daily and the rest and like the people at Nets Republic, I can see where, where they're coming from in, in the sense that, you know, Spencer Dibney has proven it and, you know, D'Lo has only shown spurts. But I think, you know, they're looking at it from the sort of cap nerd perspective in, in ways. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, it depends on what, you know, D'Lo proves this season. But at the end of the day, we don't have to offer him, you know, what we offered Zach, what Zach Levine got, what Aaron Gordon got. I think that Sean Marks is going to be a little more measured in that. And if he does leave, then we do have very nice guard depth. If you want to count Karis Levert in that sort of guard, um, guard wing sort of, and he's a floor general uh, plenty of time as well. That I don't think, you know, if 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 Dela were to leave, the franchise would be in in all sorts. I think that there's enough depth there as well. But if we're offering well, if you're so, let's say that D'Lo shows enough next season, Nick, but he doesn't realize like he's not an all star like we have um, said a, a few times, or he's not uh, you know an, an 
a top 50 player, but he shows glimpses. Um, he he plays 65 games. He doesn't play, you know, 70 to 82. So there's still like, there's all these questions still surrounding him. What contract would you offer him um, as Sean Marks, discounting all the possible free agent possibilities? I would uh, let the market determine his contract. Right. He's a restricted free agent. I got last dibs on him. I'd be like, D'Lo, maybe I'll come with like somewhat of a vanilla offer or, you know, let somebody else sign. Maybe not sign him right away. Unless Sean Mark, I think Sean Marks wants to keep flexibility. He wants to keep his eyes open. So I think maybe he lets see some other players sign. The NBA market contract wise is one of the hardest things to predict. You know, like what we saw two years ago, people getting max deals all over the place. Now, last offseason, we saw guys signing for very low veteran minimums and trying to play for this year. So I think it's going to be like a combination of things. I mean, it's tough to say. I could see D'Lo's contract, depending on how he plays, being anywhere from like 15 to in the 20s, you know, depending on how his season goes. If he were to play, you know, when the injury concern wasn't there and he hasn't flashed his full potential, I think you might be a little bit more nervous about giving him more than 20 mil. That's why I would probably just let the market determine it. If somebody came and offered him like a max and I didn't feel he was ever going to be able to play enough games to live up to that max or get up to that potential, I might let him go because like you said, you know, we could always re-sign Dinwiddie. We got Karis LeVert who, when the Nets drafted him, Sean Marks, I think Kenny's brought this up. Sean Marks has been like, yo, LeVert can play point guard. LeVert can play point guard. And when they first drafted him, not everybody could see that. But yeah. now after last year, it's like, all right, well, you know, LeVert actually could play guard and we could fill in another guard, another spot. And he's shown the ability. I mean, he's not locking down primetime guards, but he's shown the ability to defend point guards too. So I don't think they're, they're in a really good position flexibility-wise. And they have like, like what I like about Sean Marks as a GM is he has his like back covered. Like he has like six plans. You know, one plan doesn't work. He's got A, B, C, D. You know what I mean? Like it just, he's always ready for whatever coming his way. Definitely. But beware of the Sacramento Kings, Nick. They're probably going to offer D'Lo and Max. They offer everyone the freaking Hey, if I was them, I might not. <laughs> like, well, like, they, they need some hype. De'Aaron Fox, you know, obviously, who, who knows what could happen with him. Um, but um, going back to Jimmy Butler, and I've seen a, a few things on Instagram, and I thought I'd sort of put them together and, and, and throw things at you. There was a trade proposal per clutch nets on Instagram. The Nets received Jimmy Butler, whereas the T-Wolves would get in return. Alan Crabb, Spencer Dibley, Karis LeVert, and the Nuggets 2019 first pick. What are your thoughts on this proposal by the Instagram page? Doesn't make sense. Because I think you're trading for an expiring contract. You're not guaranteed Jimmy Butler's going to stay. We already know he wants to team up with other players. Hypothetically, one of those players doesn't like the Nets. Now you just traded for extra first-round pick. You traded Dinwiddie, who's expiring, not a big deal. Crabb? It's kind of a contract dump, but not really because the Nets really do like him. And then Levert, like the one reason I'm so against trading Levert, not only because I love him, is because I think his contract, if you look into next season and you were to sign two max guys or, you know, fill out the roster and be a championship type team or a contending type team, you have a guy who's very good on a very small number. I think he's making like two to four million next year. So you lose him and now you have another spot. And then, like I said, with Butler, now, not only you're forced to resign him, and what happens if he doesn't like Brooklyn or the knees are a real big issue? I'm not a huge fan of trading for Butler unless it's like pennies on a dollar because he's expiring. Like, it's not like the Nets are going to get him and contend this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. If you take, maybe you take Levert and, and the first pick out of it, then you've got me sort of thinking about something um, because I see Alan Crabb 
you know, I'm not saying he's replaceable. I think he's the perfect guy in the Nets offensive system. But Joe Harris has proven something. Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, we've got the, the guard depth like we mentioned before. So I think, you know, and you, you, you finagle it in a way that, you know, maybe there's pick swaps in there or, or something and it's a little more tantalizing for, for Brooklyn and for Sean Marks, then I think it makes a little bit more sense. Um, would you agree with that? Or do you think that I'm still, you know, the, the Jimmy Butler trade still I think doesn't it makes make more sense. Yeah. I think even if you were to maybe do a three-way trade where Dinwiddie's going somewhere else, hypothetically to the Suns, and that first round pick is going to the Timberwolves and then they're getting crab and maybe a lesser player in the nets. Like, um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Rondé was involved in a deal too. Okay. Yeah. And they also could send back, you know, the Timberwolves could send back somebody like a Tyus Jones or Justin Patton who hasn't really got to play much, but he does have some potential. So, I mean, if you got another young player back too, I don't think it's as bad. Or even if they threw in some second round picks, I know second round picks aren't super valuable, but it's at least something. I think Jimmy Butler just comes off a little bit scary from what we talked about with the injury in the minutes. And then also just like, is he going to stay with the Nets? We don't, I've never heard him say anything that he wants to come to Brooklyn or anything. We heard the talk about the Lakers and that seems like more, more uh, enticing to him than coming to Brooklyn. Yeah. I think that the rumblings out in Minnesota are going to keep, keep bubbling around. Um, Which kills we'll- them leverage wise. It does. You know, obviously, the, when the Kyrie Irving news came out, they certainly lost all. And at the time, you know, where everyone marveled at the, the, the trade that Kobe Altman was able to 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 pull off to get, you know, Isaiah Thomas, Crowder, uh, that pick. But, you know, obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty, and we see what, saw what happened there. But, you know, a trade is definitely a little bit risky, especially with, with free agency on the horizon. Um, but, Nick, I've got a couple of others for you. These are some, some over-unders per our Nets region on Instagram. Uh, there's three of them. And the first one, D'Lo will average 20 points overall under. Under. Uh, like we said, I think I don't necessarily think D'Lo needs to average 20 points to have a great season. I'm more interested in him being a point guard and averaging eight assists. You know, yeah. aver- we talked about, I think we had ideal numbers for him, like 18 and eight. Like that would be great. I don't really care about the points. If he averages over 20, that's good. But I think he'll be under, especially the way the Nets play offensively. It's not like one guy is taking 20 plus shots a night. No, it could be a different guy every single night. Yeah, and we saw, you know, that early season form where he was playing 27 minutes tonight. He wasn't even cracking the 30-minute mark, and he was still getting 21 points and like five, six, seven assists per per outing. If he, you know, that minute load increase, he's healthy, and he can play 32 minutes, there's no reason to say where he can't average 20 and 8 or 21 and 8. I think that that number is a nice number. If you change it to 18, I might go the over just because... I think that D'Lo is he's one of his best potential is his scoring, but his passing while an elite skill is something he needs to tighten up because of the turnovers. And I think that that's one thing that the coaches have been really on him about and will be really on him about going into next season as well. So I think that, yeah, if we were to say maybe change it to 17 or 18, it'd be a bit of an easier question, but who's to say that he can't get 20 and eight. Um, I think that, you know, he's got all the potential in the world and, I think that's one that's going to be to watch going forward. But your boy Levert, Levert will average 16 points over or under. Mm, that's a tough one. All right, I'll say this. If he starts, he'll average over. If he doesn't start, he'll average under. Yeah, okay. So I cheated. We, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. You're allowed to this, – this game, we're, we're making up the rules, mate. We can, we can do what we want with it. Um, yeah, but I think I think under as well. I think that Levert's you know peak would be a fifteen five and five because I love his versatility. Um, I did a, a piece for Nets Republic as well on Karis Levert and 
terms of his flexibility and in his versatility uh, in terms of you know on both ends of the floor um it's going to be sorry to cut you off jack you must read that piece it's one of jack's best work check it out it's on nets republic i loved it that was probably one of my favorite pieces of the year yeah make sure you're following that site guys they're putting out some awesome content i've got another one coming out in the coming days as well i put out like the spencer dilney piece like i mentioned um nicholas letourneau is an absolute nets behemoth as we are at the buzz as well we've having him on and we'll be having him on in future pods as well but i think yeah the carol Levert one is interesting and when we get into our player preview series it's going to be really fun sort of projecting these guys and so i want to save a little bit of my information and my predictions for that but uh, the final one nicholas um alan crab we are crab people at the <laughs> brooklyn buzz uh crab will shoot 40 percent from three over or under mm, i wish i could say 40 on the dot um I guess I'm going to go with over because he's. we've seen him shoot over 40% in a season. Last year, he looked a lot more comfortable. The Nets should be a better team, and he should get more open shots. And Kenny will have a better idea where to fit him in and kind of get him in a better position so he can really get his full potential out there. So I'm going to go over. Yeah, I think that his best, I think, in Portland was like at that 42% range. So I'm leaning to slightly above. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised and I wouldn't, you know, be, it wouldn't be the end of the world if he shoots, you know, 39.5% from, from three either. Um, I think he'll be 39 to 41. I think that's the range I expect from him this year. Yeah. I think it's an arbitrary number. And I think the added depth that we've sort of added, uh, alongside him, you know, guys that can shoot a little bit, guys like Jared Dudley, Trevion Graham, Shabazz Napier, uh, uh, Joe Harris is going to can continue to hopefully continue his form from there. I think that that's only going to bode well for Alan Crabb, as well as his health. Uh, I think that he he seems healthy from all the things coming out. And I think going into to training camp and the preseason, we should see some good things from him. And, you know, he's fit. He's the, he's the glue that sort of holds this offensive system together because when you want that three-point shot, you know, Coach Kenny, and then, you know, it's a timeout or whatever, you, when you want a three-point play, you're making a play for Alan Crabb because he is, as much as I love Joe Harris, um, I am going to be objective right now. Um, it's funny, but I am going to be, I'm going to do it. But I think, Alan Crabb, <laughs> thank you, sir. But he is still, Alan Crabb at his peak is one of the best three-point shooters in the league. Joe Harris is as well, but I think Alan Crabb has the ability a little bit more off the dribble. I think that's what Joe Harris probably might be working on in the off season as well. Um, I wish I was able to follow him and he would put more, put more on his Instagram page and he had a Twitter page, but um, I, 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 that's that's for another day. Um, this one was from a while ago, Nick, and I, I don't think we chatted about it or we might have, um, but this is per Billy Reinhardt on Twitter um, in terms of he had a couple of scenarios that he put out. Which scenario would you prefer? So I think we can chat about them uh, and I think that'll probably be the best and then we sort of maybe give our opinions on it. But one of them says, sign Kawhi and keep D'Lo. The other says add Kyrie and Butler, but lose D'Lo. The third is tank for RJ, Cam, Nasir, or Zion. Uh, and the last one is re-sign our own free agents, so D'Lo, Rondé, and the rest, and add Tobias. Um, the first one, sign Kawhi and keep D'Lo. What are the, the positives, the negatives of that, do you think? Nick? I mean, to me, that's the most enticing so far, just because yeah. I think you get Kawhi. It's just like any sport, anytime you have one of the best players in the league. And I think, you know, we'd agree that he is at least top five. If he comes back, he's 100% healthy. One of the best two-way players. And defensively, the Nets need a ton of help. And he'll come in there and set the tone. And I mean, he's a guy that actually can defend LeBron James. He can defend KD. He can cause problems for other offensive players. And if you're re-signing D'Lo, that means that he probably had a really good season. So I think that's the pros of that. I mean, negative-wise, there isn't really a ton. 
I mean, maybe you want to add the other star to get a little bit better contending wise. But if you were to only re-sign Kawhi and D'Lo, you'd still have cap money out there to spend on other things. So you could fill out the roster with other solid players. And there's still plenty of growth on the team with the young guys like LaVert, Allen, RHJ, and whoever they you know keep. And Musa could you know, take a jump too. Yeah, definitely. I think that for me would probably be my number one if I was to rank them. Um, the Add Curry and Butler but lose D'Lo one is intriguing because... You know the rumblings you know, came out in the in the off season early in the the free agency period about you know Kyrie and Jimmy wanting to team up and you know obviously they're two of the top tier free agents uh, of the next class coming out with guys like Clay and KD and Kawhi like we've mentioned um, so I think that those two would definitely bring some some cachet and allure back to back to Barclays that probably that we've never seen before. Uh, in the in the tenure since the Nets have moved to Brooklyn, so those are certainly the positives. But we've we've spoken probably already on this podcast about the the history of Butler and you know his obviously um, the the negatives behind him uh, and losing D'Lo would mean also that he hasn't reached his potential most likely, or like we said that maybe another team uh, is is enamored with him and decides to give him a contract that we just don't want to match. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't think. D'Lo at his best is ever going to be as good as Kyrie at his best. Um, yeah. I don't think that that's any anything that many people don't know, but Kyrie at his best, despite you know some of his injury history, which you know D'Lo has experienced himself uh, in his short career, uh, Kyrie is an absolutely dazzling point guard and can change a game on a whim. You know we've seen him prove it, you know time and time again, and you know obviously his crowning moments uh, in the 2016 Finals. Um, nailing that absolute dagger of a shot, which so, someone gets lost in the in the rummage a little bit when you know the the, the block happens. Yeah. But that shot was as much of a, a crowning moment for him and and the, Cav- the Cavaliers franchise. So I think that there are positives and negatives to that. Do, do you think that there are any different ones that I sort of said? Yeah, I think the like you said, you know, Kyrie's one of the best closers in the NBA. Period. Like, there's not many guys that can get a bucket the way he can. He goes against, he was going against Clay Thompson in the finals, you know, consistently, you know, when he's back on the Cavs and he was scoring on him. And Clay was saying he was one of the toughest guys to defend. I think you look at that, it brings the Nets as instant contenders in the East. You add those two guys, you know, two of the probably top five players at their position, bring them in. Now the Nets are contenders. The only, I think, one con of that would be both guys have injury histories. And, you know, at the, the later parts of that contract, you could be dealing with a Jimmy Butler who's, you know, having a hard time staying on the court or Kyrie's knees can kind of act up again, which has been an issue in Boston. So there's some risk with it. But like you said, it would bring some major hype to Barclays. I mean, Kyrie and Barclays would almost bring more hype to Brooklyn than the Knicks would have. You know, if the Knicks weren't to get Kyrie and he were to go to Brooklyn, I think you might see some fans even turn over. Yeah, definitely. I think that Kyrie, there's player fans and there's, you know, team fans. And I think that in the current NBA, and I've spoken about this, you know, on with you and on OGD Basketball, that player fans are almost as powerful in today's game. You know, obviously, guys follow LeBron where LeBron goes. Guys follow where KD goes. And, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing because, you know, the loyalty to the stars, it's a star-driven league. So I'm all about that. Um, obviously, we are a Nets podcast, so the, the team the team element is is certainly important as well. But I think it'd be as rewarding for us to sort of see a guy select us, you know, any of these free agents, yeah. just to go, okay, well, look, I I'm going to buy into this net system. I believe in what they're creating, even if it is like a, that sort of less someone re-signing our own free agents and adding Tobias Harris, it'd still be a get because it's showing that you know guys are buying into our system. And we've sort of seen that to, in a mild way 
this offseason with guys like Ed Davis, who is one of the better centers on the market when you're talking about, you know, DeAndre was probably the best with DeMarcus Cousins. You know, Ed Davis is probably one of the better free agent gets out of anyone. Uh, Shabazz Napier as well. These guys would have surely gotten um, plenty of sort of um, plenty of calls from from with their agents and such, but they decided to choose Brooklyn, um, which I think is is showing you know the the early signs that we we may be on the road to to getting a free agent. Though it's not you know fait accompli, and as much as we want to. Uh, speaking into existence, I think that there needs to be a, a more balanced element about it in terms of uh, an element of realism to it because, you know, teams like the Lakers, teams like the Knicks are going to have that already established cachet that we don't have yet. Um, so this season is going to be, like I've and me and you have said plenty of times, it's going to be crucial to sort of setting the standard and setting the tone for the franchise for those prospective free agents. For sure. If like a guy were to come out and have another like crazy good season, like a career year for like a Shabazz Napier or a Trevion Graham, I think that would also send good messages too. You know, it's like the Nets can get the best out of you and help you kind of hit your peak. But like you said, I think anytime a big name chooses the Nets, it's just going to help them long term too. You know, it's not just about this year and the next couple of years. The Nets have to think about the big picture and they don't want to make any huge mistakes that set them back another 10 years. No, definitely not. Definitely not. And I think that it's all about having that balance. And I think we've talked about um, Sean Marks in general, and, and you've mentioned the fact that he's always got something up his sleeve. You know, he's never going to do something where he sort of gets burned on the way out. Um, you know, many, the only real criticism he's had in his tenure has been that Alan Crabb trade. But at the same time, we wanted him. We were the ones that sort of forced Portland's hand in that sense. So, and we obviously got rid of Nicholson as well. So it was sort of, a lesser deal for us uh, in, in the end. So uh, if, if that's the worst that you can come up with to, to throw at a guy when there's been so many other GMs out there from Sacramento to Phoenix and the rest who do um, daily bad moves on, on, the, on the regular, um, then, you know, they've got, they've got some things coming. But the last one, Nick, now I'm, I'm not necessarily warming to, to the tanking idea because of what it creates in terms of the culture. And, and it's against sort of, the the Nets brand or the the Atkinson or the the Mark the Markson brand, but in terms of getting a, a real stud from from this class, whether it's someone from Duke like like RJ like Zion um, like Cam, or whether it's um, it, it's for me something that still is has has an allure about it, getting a real um, a, a top sort of pick. You know, the Nets have their own one this year. Um, obviously, and um, we have the the Denver one as well. But to get a real uh, a, like, we've seen Zion just do some insane things, and he might be the best athlete since LeBron James. To see that in a in a Nets uniform, we talked about how Kyrie could bring in some fans. Man, that Zion Zion Williamson and 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 RJ Barrett are certainly probably going to do the same as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, there is some there's some excitement bringing in a high draft pick and watch them kind of develop and being that like hometown guy. And like, he would be the guy that kind of sets a tone from Brooklyn. If he were to become a superstar, you know, we had him from his rookie year until his final season and he brought us a championship or something that would be amazing. I would say, you know, I'm trying to like play in between right here, maybe not tank and maybe just get really lucky in the lottery and have like a, a <laughs> 10th or 11th pick. And then all of a sudden you're, you get the lottery odds and you get number one. That's the only way I kind of want that to happen. I think just, tanking would just set the wrong idea like you just spent all this time preaching culture and preaching you know competitiveness and wanting to win games and saying winning is important and that's the goal and to go out and have a season and lose games unless it was because of injury 
I think it would just be the wrong message and you would kind of come off as a hypocrite and it'd be just not not the thing that I want to do as a franchise, especially with the Nets finally kind of getting back in the good graces and eyes of, you know, NBA players, other uh, management, ownership, you know, across the league. I think that the Nets are kind of ascending and I think that would kind of make them descend and just become a team that people are like, oh, yeah, they were just talking all that shit. They don't really care about winning. Yeah, I mean, unless injuries were to happen, and even even then, I think the Nets are almost prepared for good. injuries. Yeah, yeah, they're too good to tank right now. Um, in terms of the depth that we have, we are have one of the better benches going around. You know, our bench unit could easily rival our starting unit in terms of um how good it is. But if you know, if injuries were to happen to occur, and we were to trade some of these guys, because all of the acquisitions we've made and all of the there are so many players on our roster that are trade chips. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie being the one of the main ones, Damari Carroll being another, Rondé to a lesser extent. I think that, you know, if, you know, disaster were to occur and we were to change course, um, I'm not totally against it. I, I get it in terms of the culture and stuff, but I also get in terms of saying that, you know, uh, it's not one way or the highway. I think that there needs to be flexibility in that sense. And I think Sean Marks has preached that and practiced that uh, as as the GM of the Nets, you know, for the last you know year and a half or two. Um, so I'm not necessarily against that either. But you know, I think the Sacramento Kings were projected to get this number seven pick, which was what the Bulls got, and they ended up with number two. So I think that for us, that we're sort of hoping for that. And you know, with the lottery smoothing out for the first time this season, um, you know, that's part of the reason why I'm not. Uh, I'm with you in, in terms of the tanking route that I think that, you know, it can be more sort of uh, more harmful than beneficial in the long run, uh, especially when, you know, you're sort of building from the ground up in terms of the organization. Um, and we've sort of heard that before. And Steve Kerr, I, I don't know if I mentioned it before on this podcast, but Steve Kerr has sort of said that, and he talked about Brooklyn in the sense that when you're building something and you have like the established talent already there, you need to build the culture over the top of the talent. Whereas the Nets need to build both. So that's a really tough thing to do, you know, for a GM and as and a coaching staff. So it's it's about establishing the culture first and then the talent hopefully comes with that and comes through uh, and is sort of, you know, a, a product of that sort of established culture. Yeah, for sure. I 100% agree. And Jack, I actually forgot to mention, we do have one question from one of our listeners. They uh, emailed me earlier this week, Malcolm Edwards, who's overworking in Africa. Big shout out to you for listening to the show. Any type of support to everyone who supports us. We appreciate Africa. It. How yeah. is someone listening to the buzz in Africa? Like if guys, if you aren't subscribed on iTunes or whatever, and a, a person in Africa is able to listen to us, um, <laughs> it's pretty insane. Um, and thank you so much to, to Malcolm for his question. But, but what did he have for us, my friend? So it is a little bit of a long question. So give me a sec to pull it up. Um, now that we have our own first round pick from here on out, what would be your preferred way of building this team to contention? Pretty similar to what we just talked about, but it's a little bit different. Would you rather A, keep the current core intact? Side question, who do you think is part of the core? And then add free agents to the core. Do you think any top tire free agents will come to Brooklyn? And then B, tear it all down, Philly style, trade D-Low, especially if he shows he can stay healthy and play like a frontline player. Trade any assets, any value on our team outside of Allen, who we keep to uh, rebuild to a contender, you know, get more draft picks and things along those lines. Which way do you work is work better for you? But I think before we tackle A and B, we can decide who's the young core. Yeah, so the young core, I think, um, is D-Lo, Karras, and Jarrett. To a lesser extent, on maybe if we're sort of doing tiers, like we sort of talked about um, in, in other sort of topics, then I think you can probably chuck, you know, Rondé, Spencer in that sort of second tier. 
I think the core tier is Delo, Karras, and Jarrett. And uh, I think most Nets fans and Nets pundits would, would think about it. Do you, is there anyone else that I'm missing? Um, Joe Harris, he's, he's still kind of young, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could make the argument for you, Jack. I think maybe you throw Musa in there. The Nets seem yeah. pretty high on him, but yeah. he is a yeah. rookie, so it's kind of like... Do is he part of the core? We don't really know yet, but I think based on what we saw, he seems like he'd be part of it. Maybe tire one, maybe tire two, but I agree with what you got. I think D'Lo, Levert, and Allen are the guys that have the most potential still to show us. Where Dinwiddie and RHJ still have some more to show, but not as much as the other three. And what were the options in terms of um, the A or B? It was like tear it down and, and get rid of all those guys, and you know, tank go the tanking route to sort of rebuild. Um, so- and it. So A would be just kind of, you know, keep the core together, which we just talked about, and then try yep. to attract top tire free agents. And would you be okay? He also mentioned, would you be okay settling for a Tobias Harris or a Chris Middleton? And the B one was just pretty much tear it all down, trade everybody away except Jared Allen and just get more assets and go the Philly route. Look, uh, it's a it's a really tough question and a, a really good one at that. Um, and I'm not just blowing smoke up, up <laughs> Malcolm, uh, Malcolm's bum for, for that sense. But I actually think that, it's it's hard to sort of gauge because there's such differing, you know, scenarios and options. I'd probably go with the the safer route in terms of keeping our core because it, it looks better to to outside perspective. You know, everyone sort of like you know it's the 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 whole you know tank or that's the only way to rebuild a franchise. I think can be lost in 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 the midst a little bit. You know, obviously Philly have done it and you know they they struck gold. But at the same time, they also got Nerlens Noel and Jalil Okafor, who aren't even on that team anymore. So to do an extreme Sam Hinkie requires an extended period and you know a buy-in from ownership. And Sam Hinkie doesn't even have a job anymore. Obviously, he is a messiah out in Philadelphia. Um, to an extent, sure, Marx is to us, uh, and in Marx we trust. Shout out to Flashboard at Flatbush at Atlantic. So I would go the the safer route because um, adding in Chris Middleton or Tobias Harris, I'm I think we talked about him before. I I'm love Chris super, Middleton. I'm super high on him, man. I'm super high on him. I think that he has the potential to be a number one, if not the perfect number two guy. He's already proven that in in Milwaukee, and he's proven it in play in the playoff series against Boston, where you know there were times that he looked like the guy, the go-to guy over Giannis because he could just create his own jump shot so much better. And I think in our system, Coach Kenny would just be all over him. Tobias Harris, I'm a little uh, less on. Um, he has really good offensive upside, but I don't think um, that he's got anywhere near the potential or you know the upside or the the ceiling that say Middleton does. Like Middleton, right now, you could argue is a top thirty player, top forty player. Tobias Harris, you know, fifty, sixty, maybe even the seventies. Um, and I don't think Harris is going to get any bigger. Bigger. Now, I don't think Middleton is necessarily going to get any better. Maybe a couple of spots. But he's already established, you know, in a really sort of elite range in terms of being, you know, uh, a really superstar role player, so to speak. And he has some nice defense, some nice versatility, and like yeah. you said, he hit some big shots in the playoffs. Not you know, he dropped he dropped one from like the score table that tied up the game. So big shout out to Middleton for the way he can play. And I just like uh, I think Milwaukee. You know, obviously Bud going over there now, being the new head coach, should help the spacing. But over the last few years, they really haven't had many three point shooters. If you put him on a team with more spacing, his shots are going to get a lot easier than what he's had in the past. So I'm going with option A as well. Pretty much similar to what I just said is I think it's just sending the wrong message if you were to tank. And then tanking all, it sounds so great. You get all these high picks and everything works out. You know, everyone points to the Sixers, but let's look at Orlando. Let's look at Phoenix. Let's, let's look at Sacramento. Those teams have been bad for a while, and they've had a ton of top picks, and things just haven't worked out. 
You know what I mean? There's no guarantee when you go the tanking route. At least if you go with A, you know the young players you have that are ascending and getting better, and you know what you have, and you're at least going to be competitive, and you have the flexibility to add some of these, you know, high tire free agents, maybe not the best, but some of these guys that are fringe all-star type players. And then maybe if things work out and you build up your assets, you can make a trade. So I think A, you kind of work all this way to get the team to this level. You want to at least stay here for a couple of years. Because I don't think personally from a fan's perspective, after the last couple of years we've seen and Billy King trading away all the picks and having all those terrible teams, they don't want to see a bad product on the court again. No, and you know, in terms of you know fan attendance, the the, the Nets are one of the worst at that. I think tanking while could have possible great rewards, like, you know, um, similar to Philadelphia, but it's definitely risky uh, and a more riskier route in terms of rebuilding. And it isn't a proven commodity. Obviously, Philly um, uh, set are on their way in that sense, but that took, like I said, uh, a lot of buy-in and and a real extended period of that. Um, On Middleton, Nick, uh, I'll throw another one at you. Would you rather have Chris Middleton or Jimmy Butler? Hmm. I think if I'm signing a long-term contract, I think Butler's a really big concern. Like, yeah. I think there's some really big concern with him. And I think Butler uh, is going to demand full max for Middleton. You could probably get it at a nicer price. So I think, you know, Middleton doesn't bring the same star pop, but he might be a better value for you to get, especially because he'll play up the rest of his contract. And even when he gets older and loses maybe a step or two, he's still a great jump shooter, where Jimmy Butler is not an elite three-point shooter. So I think Butler maybe in a two-year stint would make more sense. But in terms of like a long-term contract, which most of these guys are probably going to look for next year, I'd go with Middleton. Yeah, I would as well. Middleton's only 27, same age as Kawhi Leonard. Um, I, he hasn't had a, a, a real huge run with injuries from what I can um, recall. So I'd probably take him as well. And, and if you know, even if you're giving him similar money, um, you know, I don't think it's going to necessarily turn into a bad contract. I think Middleton has enough variance in his game as does Jimmy, but I think Jimmy relies a lot more on his body uh, in terms of getting the most out of himself. Whereas I think Chris Middleton can turn into like, you know, in his 30s, a spot-up shooter or, you know, uh, a lockdown sort of defender. uh, If he's to sort of like just focus on one sort of skill as you sort of lose that step when you get into your your mid to late 30s. So I would agree with you in that sense. But a couple more for you, Nick, before we uh, wind this one up. Um, And I am going to say his name, uh, but don't come at me. Uh, this is from BKN or Brooklyn Nets Daily on uh, Instagram. Would a prime D will on our roster make us a playoff team? Now, I'm going to preface this with saying that uh, the Nets have been doing a top 25 um, of franchise players of all time. And as much as we give Deron Williams shade, Darren Williams, uh, I say Deron, I'm not sure which one it is. But I think that it's uh, a little bit uh, perplexing that we haven't seen Deron Williams in the list at all. Um, and it's not to say that, you know, he's a walk up top 10 guy, but he, in, and when we look at the, those lesser guys in the, in the twenties, I think Deron Williams, as much as, you know, he has been, um, and more of a net negative than positive. He's still one of our best players to pull, to put on a net uniform. But, um, I, I progress, but we, you can have a chat about that, Nick, as well, before we get into the question. I think uh, what this tells me is that he was a bigger asshole to the Nets than I anticipated. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, Jason Kidd had his issues and, you know, he was an asshole, but he took the Nets to two finals appearances. He was great. He turned the team around. He set the tone in New Jersey. And it was really more so the Nets' fault that Jason Kidd wanted to leave. Obviously, he kind of forced a trade out, but they weren't putting money into the team. They were not re-signing Kenny Martin, trading him away. Like, they just did all these things that kind of pushed players, pushed, you know, Jason Kidd away in a sense. Where Darren Williams, like, 
dude, they put you on a team with like KG. Obviously, they're at the end, end of their career. KG, Paul Pierce, Joe Johnson, Brooke Lopez. You had a solid bench. And like you just complained a lot and you just did not step up and take that leadership role. And I felt like D will just like didn't want to be part of the Nets. Like I feel like he signed his big contract. Then after that, it just felt like he had like such a negative attitude. And I remember reading the articles and I think it was like the New York Post where he like literally tried to fight Lionel Hollins one time. He like complained one time because the cuticle on his nail was messed up and he threw a fit at practice. So it just seems like maybe the attitude is a reason he's not 20, top 25. I think talent wise. We saw enough of him. He had enough big moments where he should have been in there in terms of talent. But I think he was just really an asshole off the court and rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. He must have did something really bad. <laughs> like, there's something that we don't know about that's never got let out. But I think he probably did something that was really negative. Yeah, I think that all of those things are certainly a reason why. But, you know, a prime D will was a 20 and 10, 21 and 10 guy. So if we put, put him on our roster right now, say, have him in that sort of starting backcourt with either D'Lo or Crab or, or whoever, um, does that make the Nets, you know, you take out the sort of off-court issues. Does that make the Nets, you know, a playoff team? Does it make the Probably. Yeah. Because Darren Williams well. was uh, arguably at one time maybe the best point guard or the second or third best point guard in the NBA, you know, top 10, top 15 player. He was carrying teams. 20 and 10 was his nightly basis. He could drop 30. He could light it up from three. His defense wasn't bad. I think he, the Nets would probably be a playoff team if we're getting prime Utah Darren Williams. Not anything we saw with the Nets, but in his Utah days. Yeah, and I think as well, you know, the the debates, you know, when I was sort of starting to become, you know, a, a sort of NBA fan, I remember the debate was Chris Paul or Deron Williams. Now it seems like a joke. <laughs> now, now we can safely say that Chris Paul, you know, the point guard himself is one of the best point guards of all time. And, you know, we're still paying Deron Williams to do some MMA podcasts out and wherever he <laughs> is now. Um but yeah, I agree. Um, shout out to d -Will. Hope you're listening, uh, despite the shade. But a final one, Nicholas. Getting boy, back to our boy d -Lo. Uh NBA guru posted something on Instagram saying that there are 25 point guards who are easily better than d -Lo. Uh, And my boy, uh, the man himself, the 2K cover athlete in Australia, Ben Simmons leapt to his defense with a comment saying, and I quote, you're tripping. Um, <laughs> funnily enough hoops i've had an article that listed d'lo as their 24th best point guard in the nba uh did what he was in that list as well at 29 um what are your thoughts on one my boy ben simmons who is awesome in so many different ways but also the the ludicrous comment that d'lo isn't like the easily comment is the one that gets to me a little bit yeah, I don't think easily. I mean, if you want to say last season because he didn't play and miss a lot of time was inconsistent. But going to this year, I'm pretty confident he'll be a top 25 point guard. Like, I think that he'll be – there's a chance he could get into the top 15. Like, he's that good. He has that type of potential. It's about being consistent and staying on the floor. If your argument is purely based on injury and him not, you know, being on the court and missing time, then, yeah, sure, whatever you want to say that. But say the top 20 – he's not – you know, there's 25 point guards easily better than him. It's just kind of a push. And it just seems like that person's a D'Lo hater. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's, he's probably one of those people that slides he's into... He's probably a Lakers fan. Yeah, and he slides into Kevin Durant's stands to start, like, beef with him and stuff. Um, you know, in that list, then, you know, shout out to Hoops Hype as well, because they featured one of my tweets on their articles, so I'm all shout about... Shout out to them. Show yeah. Jack love. Thank you, Hoops Hype, one of the... Um, one of the best, like, you know, um, NBA websites outside of otgbasketball.com. But they had around the range, if we were to give it a little bit of a discussion, 23 was Isaiah Thomas, 22 was De'Aaron Fox, 21 was Dennis Smith Jr. I think D'Lo easily... Uh, better than all those guys. Yeah, I think right now he's proven that he's probably better than those guys. You could argue Isaiah Thomas um, if he can get back to... 
you know, we talked about Spencer Dimwitty as a sixth man of the year contender. I think Isaiah Thomas, you know, under Mike Malone in Denver could get back to that. Um, I'm all about sort of, you know, glass half full guys. So, and, you know, De'Aaron Fox, you know, he shoots some nice moments, funnily enough, against our Nets as well. And Dennis Smith Jr. is just uh, an absolute, um, just one of the most athletic point guards going around in the league right now, not just in terms of young point guards. So He's like a human muscle. He, he's Yeah, he's, it's insane. Like the, the amount of quick twitch fives that that dude has is just insane. But um, uh, it's it's fun to debate, but I think, you know, we could see our boy D'Lo crack the sort of top 20. Um, we've talked about the fact that he could be a fringe top 10. Next season, Nick, what are your thoughts? Where do you think that he finishes? Obviously, you know, you're big on sort of these sort of projection questions, so I'll throw it back at you. Where do you see him finishing in that sort of top 30 or in that sort of top 30 range? Like, is he a top 10 by the end of the season? Is he a top 20, top 15? Um, give me a number. I think he'll be between probably like 10 and 20. It's hard to really gauge an exact number in terms of health and his role with the Nets. I don't think he'll get into the top 10 this year, but I think he'll be probably somewhere between 12 and 18 maybe if I'm being like as specific as I can. I wouldn't be surprised if he got higher or lower based off of potential and injury concern. Yeah, and like I'm looking at this article right now. It's 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 nice to sort of see the names because you can sort of gauge um, because, you know, Frank Urbino, who's also uh, a very good writer for Hoopsa, he had like a guy like a Ricky Rubio at 17, Jeff Teague at 18, uh, which I would agree with. Those two guys are very good established point guards. Ricky Rubio, I think, is awesome and has won the best hairstyle in the NBA. And I'm trying to get that Ricky Rubio. And good Jeff beard Teague now, too. A very, very slick looking man. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of D'Lo's style, but I'm jumping on the Ricky Rubio bandwagon as well. But um, Jeff Teague as well is a very established guard and, you know, he's sort of, consistency i think is one of his more underrated aspects of his game obviously in minnesota um, you can argue what you will but the things he's done in atlanta so you know i can see him cracking that top 15 um i think that at his best he can maybe be a top 12 guard um by the end of the season but i think that we still have a way till we see the fullest potential of dealer you know you can't just have like one year and then sort of flame out um you know victor Oladipo had an insane leap last year into sort of, you know, all NBA caliber player. Um, but I don't think that he's going to be dropping off anytime soon. But um, D'Lo uh, will certainly be making a jump. Um, but Nick, any last thoughts you wanted to add about our Nets, about uh, upcoming episodes, about the buzz that you wanted to chat about before we uh, um, head off? Well, we just give a couple quick shout outs. Next week, you know, we mentioned this before, we're looking to do a fan episode. So if you're interested, reach out to me or Jack on Twitter or shoot me an email off the glass nf at gmail.com. Uh, we definitely want to get people on, get opinions from you guys out there. We appreciate all the support we've gotten on Twitter, iTunes, everything. And as always, you can give us a positive review. Somebody gave us a one star. So, you know, throwing some shade out there. Definitely. Did we get a one star? Yeah, we got a one star. I don't know. I'm assuming it was probably a Knicks fan. But, you know, if you guys could show some love on there, that would be great. And uh, Jack kind of hinted at it before. We're going to be doing preview shows soon. We don't have the exact details yet, but keep an eye for that. You know, we've been... We calmed down a little bit in the month of August and September, but we're going to start picking it back up for Nets basketball, and we're really excited for the season. As always, we appreciate you guys. We are so And appreciate you, Jack. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you more than anything. But we are pumping out plenty of content despite the offseason. And, and yeah, uh, in an odd way, I kind of like that we got a one-star review because it shows that, you know, once you're hated, you know you've re- reached exactly. a certain status. So, you know, one one-star review isn't that bad. And, you know, everyone else to all the uh, amazing listeners that we have, they more than make up for it anyway. But guys, making sure, like I mentioned, subscribe on iTunes, following on Blog Talk Radio, YouTube, all those good places, wherever you get your podcasts, that's where you'll find us. 
Um, a couple of five stars would be nice, maybe a couple of reviews <laughs> as well. Um, and yeah, um, this is the podcast, not as much for us, but it's for you guys as well. Um, Booknet's basketball is growing and we'll be growing with it and we're growing with you guys as well. So thank you for listening. Nick, thanks for joining me and uh, keep subscribing, keep listening, guys. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.